Welcome to the HR Like a Boss podcast. Join John Bernadovich as he embarks on a journey to get to know amazingly awesome HR and business professionals to understand what it takes to do HR like a boss. Each week, John chats with professionals with a wealth of knowledge and practical experience to help you tackle HR's biggest challenges. If you enjoy the show, don't forget to subscribe, hit the five-star rating, and share it with your HR friends. John is a father, husband, competitive golfer, author of HR Like a Boss, and founder of Willery, a professional services firm dedicated to HR and payroll technology and people. He is devoted to transforming the workplace by empowering the HR and payroll communities to navigate their ever-evolving business landscape with ownership and passion. You're listening to the HR Like a Boss podcast, hosted by John Bernadovich. Welcome to the HR Like a Boss podcast. I am super excited to have Jim Smith with me today. I met Jim years ago through the Cleveland Sherm organization. He has such an incredible reputation in our community and is doing some incredible work with leaders in the HR function and just felt like a natural fit for the HR Like a Boss podcast. Jim, welcome. Well, thank you for having me, John. My pleasure. All right, Jim. I know a lot of people in Cleveland know you. Luckily, the reach of HR Like a Boss is beyond Cleveland. I'm sure yours is as well. Tell those that don't know who Jim Smith is, your story and your passion for helping out leaders in the HR profession. Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, my, my career started long ago, uh, not in HR. Um, I actually grew up in a in a little insurance company on the east side of Cleveland called Progressive, back when it actually was a tiny little company. And I worked for them for a very long time. And during that time, I moved from operations into field sales, into finance, administration, real estate, product management. I, I hit just about every function in the company except for IT and claim and field claims. And one day. I was ending up another rotational assignment and I went and sat down with a woman who was one of my mentors for many years, who happened to be the acting head of HR at the time. And she said, Jim, you should come into HR because this is where all the rest of it comes together. Well, I had no experience in HR other than like I was one of those people who was always on HR task forces. So I, you know, I knew enough to be dangerous. But the next thing I know, I'm coming in at a senior level leadership, you know, senior letter level leadership role into HR. Um, I remember frantically studying for the PHR exam to retroactively backfill my technical knowledge. Um, but I, I stayed in that role, um, ended up leaving there, becoming the head of HR for several other organizations before I launched my own HR consulting firm. Uh, and then I discovered uh, coaching as a profession, which lines up really beautifully with organizational development and leadership development, which were my specialties in HR. Um, haven't looked back since. So I am uh, I'm unconventional as an HR practitioner in that, and this this is something I always like to 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 tell a story about. Um, I. I worked alongside a guy at Progressive who was very anti-HR. He worked in a different functional area, but he was always bitching and moaning about all the stuff they made us do. 
several years later, I got hired into a different company by an ex-progressive guy, and he is one of my coworkers now. He's a member of my senior leadership team. Um, and uh, I remember about six months into the job, he comes up to me one day and he stands real close and he says, you are the most dangerous HR person I've ever met in my life. Like, what do you mean, John? Like, <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, you're incredible. He said, everything you want, you just walk into the room and you've already cost justified it. He said, nobody can stop you. And I remember that moment being pivotal, pivotal for me because it reminded me how important it was that I had the sales background and the product management background and the finance background. If I wanted something, I just did the numbers and I justified it myself. I didn't wait for my CFO to give me permission, you know? So I guess I was kind of a dangerous HR person. I'll stop there. That's awesome. I love that story. That's so cool. And it's very boss-like, perfect for our segue into the show, which I start all guests out with the same first question. My true north when it comes to why I'm doing what I'm doing is to try to make an impact. And I want to ensure that as we look at what we do in our work every single day, that we know what our purpose is and we have that guiding and directing us as bad things happen more often than not, you can get off course. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious, Jim, really curious to get your perspective on how would you describe the purpose of human resources? Well, I think, I think in a single phrase, I see the primary purpose of uh, HR as the curator of the culture. And I, and, and, I, and I don't even, I'm very careful not to say the keeper of the culture, because I think the culture belongs to everybody. It has to be everybody's responsibility. But the top HR person in the HR department in general have a responsibility for curating for selecting what comes into that space, what is called culture, for making sure that we're paying attention to some of the uh, the markers of culture. Uh, you, you know, in in past roles I've had, it was it was my job to not to define the values of the company, but to drive the creation of them, to get us all in a room together and having some really hard conversations about what was really important to us as an organization. How did we really want to treat people? Um, where do people sit in relation to profit and all the other things we need to pay attention to as an organization? Um, and, and so while there are other things that HR does, I mean, HR also attends to the infrastructure of people in an organization, and that's important. But every decision we make about infrastructure is really driven by, well, what is the culture? Like, what? how do we want people to experience this organization? How do we want customers to experience our people? So everything we build needs to support our capacity for doing what we say we represent. Yeah, no, I hear you. That's, that's spot on. I think, like you said, it's it's not your own. It's not controlled by HR. There's a tremendous amount of influence in there. There's something I want to ask you that you said, Jim, that in that spirit of let's get in a room, let's have dialogue, let's have communication. One of the things I know oftentimes that can derail some of that for people is contrarian thought, maybe combativeness, maybe I'll call it conflict. 
And I'm curious in your leadership development and your coaching and the things you're doing, working with executives, how do you find, how do you recommend someone to navigate through creating a safe environment for people to really share how they feel? Because in that spirit becomes a lot of the really great ideas, the things that really get at the root cause of the issue, because I'm not afraid that what I'm going to say may offend Jim. I'm not trying to offend Jim because of what he does. I think the issue is it relates to what Jim is responsible for, using your name as an example. Yeah. Is there anything you can suggest as you work with leaders, I'm sure all the time, at different levels of, on the spirit and the spectrum of EQ? <laughs> how, how, do you, how do you help someone navigate through those, those tough conversations when that conflict, when we want conflict, but maybe you really don't want conflict? Well, I, I love the way you say it, that we want conflict and we really don't want conflict. We need conflict because we don't want to be a group of yes people. We don't want to just endorse the first thing that comes along. Um, we we shy away from it though because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us sweat. We're not sure what to do with it. Uh, my my primary approach to to um, working with conflict really comes out of the era that I spent working in creative problem solving. In the, in the domain of creativity, John, conflict is seen as the spark. It's the heart of creativity and innovation. If there's not something wrong, or if there's not something that isn't completely right, because it, it doesn't have to be broken, right? Um, there, there has to be something about which we don't agree in order to spark conversation about, well, what, what could be different? What else might we do? And that's where you get into, that's where you start the conversation of recreating or adding or rebuilding or innovating something new. So through that lens, the absence of conflict means the absence of creativity, the absence of thinking. Um, of course, you, you know, you point to the discomfort of conflict. Um, and that's what shuts a lot of people down is when when an organization, so I'm, I'm speaking at a high level, when an organizational culture does not embrace conflict as an opportunity to learn and seek different voices, if the culture of the company is the boss is right and we're going to shut this down right now, um, I worry less about the fear that you invoke and the lack of psychological safety than I do about the fact that that organization is, they've started the slow spiral down the toilet bowl to oblivion because they've set themselves up for everything depending on that one person in charge having all the good ideas and that person will run out. The only way to tap into everybody is, is to make conflict and um, open conversation. I was going to say argument, but it's not, but to, to allow arguments as something that is healthy and normal for us to work through differences so we can find the best solution. Yeah. I think if you, if you look at the journey in the process and you get stuck into some of the road, the roads that you might run into that are closed or bumpy without thinking about, I'm going to end up at this beautiful beach or this creative new idea in the spirit of conversation to give you that chance to, to run toward those conversations. I think that was brilliant. I really, I really appreciate that perspective. 
All right, so let's talk about your subject matter expertise, or one of them, I should say. You have many of them, but your your business is focused on leadership, leadership development, leadership coaching, OD, et cetera. And I'm curious about talking here for a bit, Jim, on connecting your leadership to the human resource function. What are your suggestions? What are you seeing in your, your years of experience and in your coaching business, when someone does that right, maybe when someone isn't as proficient at it, what the impact is? Well, the way you asked the question, I'm almost hearing it as an, as an individual piece. And I was thinking more systemic. Let me, let me, let me try both. So um, on, on an individual level, one, one of the mantras that I have held in my business since I started it 20 plus years ago is that leadership is not about a title. So my mantra goes, leadership is not about a title. Anyone can be a leader who, and then every time I write an article or publish a blog post, I'm filling that in in a different way based on whatever point I just made in that article. Um, someday I should probably write my own book just made up of those little mantras because there's hundreds of behaviors that people can model every day that are not about having the power and the position, but that are about having the, um, the generosity to pay attention to other people or the care for other people, um, the desire to help others grow and develop. So anyone, anyone who wants to be a leader doesn't have to wait for a promotion to a title. They can bring those behaviors with them every day. And frankly, it's that's one of the things that I really love about the HR function. It's one of the few functions that allows people who are not necessarily in charge to... Um, with permission, bring those kind of behaviors out into the rest of the organization. The finance people and the IT people don't do it as much. On a systemic level, uh, I am sometimes saddened, you might say, um, when I when I go into an organization and their their issue is leadership. I'm often being brought in as a coach to work with people to develop high potential folks or people who've moved into senior leadership roles. And I'll sit down with them and learn that they've been with the company for 25 years and they've had about this much formal training, right? So they're really, really listening on the podcast. He's got a goose egg or he's showing a zero or something very small and minute. A little tiny, the little tiny end of my finger, like that much. They, everything they know is from watching other people or their own education, but no one's ever, no one's ever given them any kind of formal training in what it really means to be a leader and what it means to be a leader at this company. Um, gosh, earlier I was I was speaking to the notion that HR is a curator of culture. Um, what's scary is when I go into an organization and the HR person says to me, well, these are our core values and our mission and our purpose. And I'm like, oh, that's great, 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 great. And then I'm talking to a senior leader in the organization, and I say, well, what, what might your core values tell you here? Or how might your core values guide you in that decision? And they'll be like, I don't know. Do we have core values? You're a CXO. You should know this. So that's a time when I see HR having abandoned their role. Um, or maybe that's not what that company ever saw them as. 
but that's the on a systemic level, leadership needs to be nurtured. Leadership needs to be developed. Resources have to be given over to helping people learn how to manage others and as they grow, then eventually lead others. And I'm using those two words very deliberately apart from each other, because first you learn how to manage, right? Command, control, compliance, do performance appraisals, hire, fire. And then you you have to learn how to lead, which is think strategically, think across business units. Um, think about you know, the, the, the movement of people across the organization, not just the people in my downstream kind of thing. And organizations that pay attention to that do better. I believe it. Yeah, that's, that's well said. And I think there's such a profound impact on your little minuscule tip of your finger idea. A data point that I read takes 46 months for a new manager to get his or her or their first management training. So they've been thrown, I say, in the deep end of the pool for 46 months to figure it out on your own, probably screw it up a lot and get a lot of people not wanting to come back to work here or maybe not being as productive as they can. And then finally, oh, you're, you're, you've been here for four years. Let's give hey. you some management it, training. Does that make sense? It seems a little backwards to me. Uh, yeah, it, well, I think it is backwards. And that, that statistic is better than what I've heard in the past. There was a Zenger Miller study that I used to quote back around uh, in, the mid, in the mid-teens. So, you know, eight, nine years ago, uh, where they found that the average person who moves into a leadership role uh, does so around age 32. The average leadership development training is offered to people at age 42. And the I, I remember when that study came out, the simple math of it was that the average person is in a management role for 10 years with zero support average. Average. That means some are getting it probably right away, and some are not getting it until they're in their twilight years, right? And they're starting to retire. Oh, we should probably train you. No. Whether it's four years or it's 10 years, that's way too long. It's way too long. Four, four too days long. seems like too long to me. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let me give a chance to give a shameless plug to our sponsor who's near and dear to my heart. Willery has supported the formation and continues to provide resources needed to put on this podcast and getting great guests like Jim Smith. Willery's purpose is to empower people and is focused on supporting mid-sized companies with their direct hire search and temporary staffing service, along with a unique client side HR technology practice. If you're struggling to find talent for your HR and payroll teams, or not getting a return on your investment in your HR tech, please visit willery.com to learn more. Back to our guest, Mr. Jim Smith. So wise so far throughout our entire conversation. Got a couple more questions for you, and we're going to stay on that leadership topic here. You mentioned these CXOs, these C-suite executives, these leaders, and we're talking about human resources and I know you and I mentioned in preparation for today this idea of holding the respond the CHR excuse me the CXOs the C-suite individuals the responsibility for them holding what they need to do with people as it relates to people. Right. Whereas as as I thought of this question, it's I've got a people issue. Let me call HR. That seems to be counterintuitive in my mind. 
tell tell me what that means to you and why it's such an important topic for us to talk about today on the show. Well, it's it's not a new topic. Um, I remember sitting in the back of a room at a uh, a conference. I think it might have even been a NORC conference for those in Northeast Ohio many years ago when the speaker was Glenn Blair, who was the recently retired uh, chief HR officer for Sohio, Standard Oil, before BP bought them. He then went into a second career as a professor of human resources at Baltimore's College. So he was giving a talk. And this is a thing he was passionate about. I heard him say it many other times after this. He stood at the podium and he said, it's nonsense that we have you know, HR as a separate function. The chief HR officer of every organization should be the CEO. In fact, every person on that leadership team should have equal responsibility. You know, then he went on to talk about the reality. This was true then, and it's still true today, that 75% of the expenses most of us have to deal with are people expenses anyway. And to, to consider that only the tiny little HR function off of the corner is responsible for all that. It's just nonsense. Everybody has to pay attention to it. So that is, um, that's, that's where that thinking comes from. Um, now, I'm going to bring it forward to the, to the present. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was at a program. Uh, the audience was HR leaders. The speaker was a CIO of a recent, of a, of a, of a nearby organization, very large organization. You'd recognize the name of it. Um, and she was doing a talk on the human side of, I don't remember her old title. Just an amazing person who totally gets that idea. Yes, we have a very competent HR function and I've got, 10,000 people in my organization. We're global. I have to pay attention to this stuff. My, my team has to pay attention to this stuff. And she really believes that, that she's a partner with HR, not that she would call HR if there's a people issue. She would call HR if there's a dumpster fire. Yes, because that's what HR yeah. should be able to handle. Right. Um, on the day-to-day -day stuff, anybody on that senior leadership team should be holding equal responsibility for doing what they need to do to take care of people, create the employee experience, and nurture the, the culture. That's cool. I, I cannot agree with you more. This idea, if it if it's waiting to HR for them to take care of it, it's probably so far down the line that in what we're already behind. And I say we HR is already behind. It's right. Kind of like, hey, come play this baseball game. It's the seventh inning and you're down nine, nothing. I haven't even started yet. I just got here. I've even warmed up. Let's change that. Let's change it. Let's find a way to change that everyone. All right. My last question for all my guests, Jim, I get them out of here on this idea of HR like a boss. That's what this podcast is. That's the, the book I wrote that's coming out soon. How would you describe someone that does HR like a boss? Well, what's a boss, right? The boss is the person who, when they walk into the room, you can feel the atmosphere change, right? If everybody's in a bad mood and the boss walks in with a great energy, the entire conversation shifts, everything elevates. And of course it can go in the other direction too, but let's talk about the positive side. Um, 
to HR like a boss means that you believe in the value of what you do. And when you walk into a room, you walk into that room with confidence, with a solid, grounded, executive presence, a belief that you belong in that conversation, and that what you believe in, um, what you're responsible for, is important. The the you know the, the truth in many organizations is that HR is barely evolved from personnel, um, and so it 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 takes some guts to walk into a room like that where the the organization might not feel that way about you yet. But here's the thing I've learned about executive presence because this this is probably the the most powerful thing that I coach around. The, the clients that I work with. Um, an enormous percentage of people in senior leadership roles, especially those who are relatively new to them, um, often go in and out of imposter syndrome, right? You know, which, which is not really a thing, but we use that term anyway. It's, it's this, this idea that, oh my gosh, I am here, I'm at the table. What if they figure out I don't know everything, right? And, and so a lot of my work with them is, first of all, working on their thinking. Because there's a certain level with, above which you're not supposed to know everything. And if you're being paid to know everything, um, we're, we've made a poor choice here, right? Because we've got 20 other people below you who are probably smarter than you. That's not your job. Your job is to create the right environment for all those people to work together and to create clear vision and orchestrate them, right? Um, so I also work with them in their body. How do you wear confidence? Like, what do you put off of you when you walk through the plant or walk around the floor or show up in a Zoom room or Teams meeting with other people? Do you show up and everybody goes, thank God they're here, or do you show up and everybody suddenly turns off their camera, right? Um, you got to pay attention to that stuff. When you are a spark, when you are a catalyst for positive, dynamic conversation, conflict included, to reference our earlier conversation, um, you're going to have more of a voice in every conversation. That's what I think it means to HR like a boss. Jim, I got to tell you, you changed the atmosphere here in the HR Like a Boss podcast. That was awesome. I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. I'm going to give those of you a quick recap, and I'm going to start from the tail end of this because Jim said something that really stood out to me as he was talking about what it takes to do HR Like a Boss is this idea of executive presence, this someone that believes in the value and what you're doing and carrying that confidence in a way that allows you, as I said, to change the atmosphere in the room and for the better is the preference. Absolutely. You also talked about the importance of all executives and all leaders to have equal people responsibility inside of your organization. And this idea of how they get there is learning to manage first and then learning to lead next. And let's not wait four to 10 years to get them some sort of leadership or management training, call Jim Smith ASAP if you need help there. You also talked about, and we had this dialogue about conflict, and I loved how you shared about your experience in creative problem solving and how that helped you see 
the forest through the trees, so to speak, of conflict to get on the other side to come up with those great innovative ideas. You also mentioned the importance of HR looking at their job as the curator of culture, not the control of it, but the curator of it, supporting those around it. And last but not least, you talked about being dangerous. Let's be dangerous as an HR person with the power of the information you have and taking responsibility for getting things done, which oftentimes takes a keen knowledge of finance and politics and budgets to make the things happen that you want to happen. Jim, that was an awesome episode. I really appreciate your friendship and support of me over the years. And I cannot wait for people to hear this episode. And I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you, John. Thanks for checking out the HR Like a Boss podcast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation, you're in for a treat with the book, HR Like a Boss. It's filled with more stories and valuable insights that can truly impact your HR career. The journey doesn't end here. Visit www.hrlikeaboss.com to join the largest community of amazingly awesome human resources professionals who are committed to doing HR Like a Boss. Stay connected with us on social media and don't forget to hit that subscribe button, rate, and review. Your feedback helps us deliver content that matters to you. Reach out to join directly at john at willery.com. Until next time, let's continue to aspire to do amazingly awesome HR.